You're listening to Voices of Family, the monthly podcast series from the BC Council for Families. Each month, we bring you thought-provoking discussions with notable figures and frontline workers in the family service community. Voices of Family takes you inside family services to hear what's new and on the horizon, making life better for BC families. Hi, I'm Marilee Peters. I'm the Acting Executive Director of the BC Council for Families, and I'm here today talking with Janice McCauley, the Executive Director of the Canadian Association of Family Resource Programs. Janice is a certified Canadian family educator, and she brings many years' experience working with families at a community-based family resource program to her position at FRP Canada. Her research activities at FRP Canada have focused on issues that are important to family resource practitioners and to the families they serve. She has authored and contributed to several FRP Canada publications over the years, and she's here today to talk with us about a recent publication. It's a policy paper that they issued in 2011, and it's called Families are the Foundation, Why Family Support and Early Childhood Education must be a collaborative effort. So Janice, thank you so much for coming today to talk with me. My pleasure. Um, and Janice, in, in the interest of, of full disclosure for our listeners, I, I have to admit that you didn't come all the way from Ottawa to Vancouver uh, just for this interview. You're actually here in town to deliver a presentation at the Early Years Conference. And so I guess to start us off, I would like to start out by reading from the description of, of the workshop that you'll be doing, because I really think that in a lot of ways that sets the stage for the discussion that we're going to have. Canadians are witnessing a significant change in the delivery of services for parents and young children. In many jurisdictions, programs that relate to the care and well-being of young children are moving towards an educational model. Educational systems are seen as the producers of the skills that will be needed by the workforce of the future. Are these strategies sufficient to meet the needs of Canadian children and their families? That's actually pretty provocative stuff in a lot of ways. So I'd like to start by talking about that significant change that, that you see that's, that's underway right now. Uh, I think there are many forces that are combining to make this uh, appear to be uh, uh, a positive proposal mm -hmm. uh, for policy, for Canadian families, and for society as a whole, and for the economy. Um, the idea of having preschool programming in uh, as part of the education system is um, has been... Uh, tried and successfully, I think, in, in many countries. And the Organization for Economic Development, OECD, mm -hmm. um, has been uh, uh, recommending this trend for quite some time, and uh, in particular, uh, uh, sort of chastising Canada for being so slow mm -hmm. to recognize that younger children need to have um, a good, found, a sound basis for their learning, and to be successful in school, they should be starting earlier with, with developmentally appropriate preschool programs. <clears throat> I think the appeal of the education systems, there are many appeals. Mm -hmm. It's there. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, uh, you know, schools uh, reach every family. Um, 
so they're located where families can uh, can attend, where children can attend. Um, they're universal, and uh, as a society, we expect um, we expect children to go to school, <clears throat> and starting usually with kindergarten, and uh, we don't expect to pay for it. This proposal of moving preschool um, into the school setting, um, preschool programs that might have been handled in any number of ways, nursery schools, uh, child care programs, um, uh, family resource programs, uh, programming where adults and children were together, and <coughs> or programs for young children, uh, to suggest that they should be happening in schools uh, makes a lot of sense to many people because schools are there, they have an infrastructure, they have a bureaucracy, they have standards, they have qualified staff. Um, th there is a uh, concern uh, that children are arriving at school not ready to learn, mm -hmm. and so starting them earlier at school uh, seems like a good idea. Right. Yeah. So in the face <coughs> of those arguments, though, you're, you're pointing out that a school-based system may not be the full answer. What is FRP Canada pointing out that also needs to be included in this system? Well, I think that, um, you know, we can, we can certainly see the appeal of this idea and why it is, has, has such traction, as they say. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> certainly it's being uh, recommended and, in fact, implemented uh, uh, in many provinces already and others sure to follow. Uh, I think our concerns, we have several concerns, um, this system, in effect, replaces will replace a childcare system, mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the appeals because it it takes it's a very um, there's a lot of dissension about uh, the provision of childcare whether tax dollars should be paying for childcare whether it should be universal whether it's the parents' responsibility, and this just takes that debate it just makes it go away yeah. because. Uh, uh, non-parental care would be provided in an in a educational We're setting already for all children. For public education. And we would expect to, you know, presumably the bill will be higher, but <laughs> uh, we would expect it. So it's a way of just sort of sidestepping a very contentious issue, um, which is the provision of child care. Um, I think what our concern is, uh, we would have several concerns. Uh, whether the school is itself, the school as it is now, uh, the best setting, the uh, best setting, or or whether it even has the tradition and the culture to uh, accommodate two-year-olds, and because the the um, when that paper was written, all-day kindergarten for five-year-olds for sure, four-year-olds in some jurisdictions mm -hmm. um, was what we were looking at. Mm -hmm. But now, uh, with the new early years study, the third early years study. Um, uh, out, the recommendation is clearly for it moving very quickly to two-year-olds. Mm -hmm. And of course there are many barriers, but still this is a pretty, uh, um, this, uh, this is, uh, uh, follows models in Europe and uh, would seem to make sense to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So uh, whether schools are uh, the place for children to spend, for children of that young age to spend so much time mm -hmm. in, you know, fairly large groups of the same age of peers, um, 
uh, with especially with younger children when their development, um, many people would say that they're dealing with issues around regulation. They're learning how to, um, uh, in a sense, sort of control themselves, and they learn that by their interaction often with their primary, their primary, uh, their parents, yeah, basically. Yeah. And uh, so it's an adult-child uh, relationship that helps that very young child, a two-year-old, three-year-old, um, and younger, <coughs> to uh, learn how to be in this world. Mm-hmm. And uh, that loving relationship is a very important aspect of that. Um, it's not something that's easy to measure, and I think sometimes it's inconvenient. <laughs> but in fact, the fact that a parent loves their child to bits, ideally, most parents want to do the very best for their children. And so it's a special relationship. It's not a professional relationship. <laughs> it's not a relationship of the same sort that you might have with a teacher. It has a special quality to it, and that special quality... Uh, has a lot to do with how successful it is in helping a child to learn how to be in this world. And uh, by sort of suggesting that the school can do that, can replace what would in other times and other places happen within the family, in the home, um, just in the course of everyday life, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have some concerns because we don't think it's the same. Uh, it, it can have... It can't be the same. Now, being different doesn't always mean that something is worse. Right. For sure. But I think that this is something that most parents intuitively understand, um, that that their parenting is really a, a primary factor in how their children develop. So how do you think... How do you think parents will react to the idea of their children as young as two potentially being inside a school system? Certainly, um, you know, as we all know, it, uh, uh, it's very hard to raise children without two incomes, mm-hmm. uh, or at least one and a half. But, <laughs> um, and uh, so y- um, parents uh, of younger and younger children are, are, are finding themselves back in the work force and often want to be there because mm-hmm. their career issues and so on. So having um, their, their children in a safe quality environment with all the other children uh, may be appealing to many. But I think there are many parents who feel a little uneasy about that. Mm-hmm. They do know that their, the time they spend with their child is precious and is important and they want more of it not less. Mm-hmm. And I think we're being uh, taken in a direction uh, through a combination of forces and uh, events uh, that is giving parents less and less time with their children mm-hmm. and that they do feel uh, uneasy about that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Even though there are many messages to say it's all right, they don't need you, better that they're <laughs> with the professional. And I think that's what mm-hmm. concerns us the most. That this, um, Many of the messages around this about how great it will be if children will be spending time with uh, trained 
uh, early childhood development specialists mm -hmm. rather than with untrained parents. <laughs> Who only love them. <laughs> I, think, I think that's probably the crux of what, <clears throat> what uh, concerns us the most because uh, uh, an, un an untrained parent who, who is responsive and loving and, uh, and knows how to provide st some structure and so on mm -hmm. is by far the best teacher mm -hmm. for a child. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we don't want our children to have second best. I'm not sure if we can have it all, but uh, I think rather than supporting this uh, uh, completely, this plan, we should think about how we could find a way to support f uh, parents and families to uh, do the best they can raising their young children, have as much time with them as they can, and, uh, and ensure that children have a good start in their learning as well. But th that good start in their learning might well be in the neighborhood mm -hmm. and in their homes yeah. and so on. Uh, you don't need to be in a school to learn how to learn. Exactly. So can you walk us through um, some of the recommendations that you make in the course of, of this paper? Um, the paper does... Uh, uh, summarize a bit of the research about the enormous impact of the very early um, period in a child's life, so um, even before they're born. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's fascinating, the research, and just more and more and more evidence that this very early stage, the earlier it is, the more impact it has. Mm -hmm. So if you're talking about four and five year olds, you're already way too late. <laughs> and if there are problems, uh, those problems will have uh, created uh, some physical changes in the child and, and also the way they handle the world and their emotional, social, social um, skills mm -hmm. that, that will likely affect their outcomes their whole life, even, mm -hmm. even to the extent of higher rates of some adult diseases. Now, I'm going to stop you right mm -hmm. there, because in a way, is that not part of the argument for uh, earlier and earlier immersion of children in the school system? Because in part, mm -hmm. that, I that think it is. growing body of evidence is, is a concern I, to, um, to policymakers and to parents about if these early years are so crucial, well, my goodness, we've got to get these children into the hands of experts as soon as possible. Yes. And, but I think it, if we're going to carry that argument out, it needs to be really as soon as possible. needs to be even, you know, during pregnancy, before pregnancy. So if that's the case, if we say, well, okay, we need, we need to take this seriously, we really need expertise here, I would say the expertise should be in supporting the family mm -hmm. so that the family can become the expert. Mm -hmm. Of course there are situations where uh, children don't have the best start and uh, their, their parents may not have had the best start either and they may not know how to be loving and consistent and provide structure and, and, uh, and nurture and they may have um, issues that they're working out with children and so on and, th and that, that can be definitely harmful. However, a child being in childcare or in school for most of the day and then returning to that family mm -hmm. uh, in the evenings and the weekends and so on, the dynamic is still there. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's naive to think that 
um, a sort of clean, safe environment during the day is going to mediate uh, the impacts of uh, less than ideal family. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there, that the expertise should, we, we do need a great deal more. We really need to take this seriously. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the way to take it seriously is to concentrate on school necessarily, but rather on supporting families when they're expecting babies, when they're having babies, mm-hmm. um, supporting them in many ways right. and in their communities, in their homes if need be, um, and uh, and making them the experts. Yeah. Because they are the ones. It's the f- parents who will be, uh, you know, it's the parents who will be with the, the child when they're getting their first job and when they're married and when they're having their babies and it's the children who will be at their parents' bedside when they're dying. Mm-hmm. It's not the teachers or the child care workers. So, uh, you know, we... What concerns us, I think, about this policy is that it sort of leaves the family out of it. Right. right. And repla- it seems to be replacing the family or the child with qualified care rather than trying mm-hmm. harder to uh, to help families be yeah. be those caregivers. And, and I guess one of the things that you say in the paper is that, yes, there does seem to be a tendency um, to to intervene on a system level and, and a disinclination or, or a hesitation about intervening on a family level. Yes, I think that's true. And so, I guess... Yeah, it's harder. It seems harder. <laughs> it's harder, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it, and it's harder in part because we see families as private. Yes. And what happens in the family is, is not part of... A, a, is, not, is not really part of, of a societal problem. It's a family problem. So, I guess, are you saying that we need to have sort of a general change in attitude in Canadian society about the importance of family or about how families and, and young children are, are seen as sort of a, a collective responsibility rather than just a family responsibility. Yes, I, I think um, that, uh, that you've put that very well. Um, I think that we, you know, when you're, when you're in the stream, you don't really n- notice uh, how uh, strange it might be. But as a society, we're not particularly child friendly we, we <laughs> think we are mm-hmm. but when you uh, are in a different country or different community or see how uh, uh, another culture um, uh, acts around the whole issue of raising children um, it's um, uh, it could be a lot friendlier mm-hmm. to families it's not easy bringing up children and I think this is perhaps one of uh, this culture is one of the more difficult uh, for bringing up children mm-hmm. because there is a tendency that isolation um, uh, works both ways. It's sort of built into the system that, that families uh, uh, should be taking care of their own, mm-hmm. you know, th- these it's issues are private, as you say. Yeah. And so uh, reaching out and, uh, you know, having the help of neighbors or even harder and harder to... Uh, um, to draw upon the resources and the support of extended families. So we, I think we do need to rethink this. And uh, clearly we are rethinking it. Mm-hmm. And we're thinking, oh, well, maybe we should uh, provide supports for all children in another kind of institution. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure why we've give, sort of given up on the family. 
I know it's difficult, but there are uh, considerable networks of uh, programs and services in the community that do that and do it very well. And they're somewhat being ignored, I think, by this trend uh, and sort of dismissed as being a jumble, <laughs> as mm-hmm. something I just read said. It's a jumble. <laughs> uh, it's a junkyard, in fact, was the expression that was used. Uh, which, uh, you know, I think if you if you know the work that is happening in the community, the very fine work, mm-hmm. you know that there are wonderful programs that do support families when children are young. So mm-hmm. it, let's, let's assume that children do start in a school setting when they're two still before they're two, before they're three, um, it's important that they and their parents and caregivers um, have uh, places to go where they're understood, where mm-hmm. they're supported for being parents, where they're valued for being parents, and uh, uh, systems that are really family-focused uh, and pay attention to the parent as much as to the child, maybe even more so. Mm-hmm. So one of the things in in your paper that you point out is that part of the argument that's made uh, frequently in in support of um, moving early care and learning into an educational system is um, the effects of past projects such as um, one that's frequently referred to, the Perry Preschool Project. But you're pointing out in that paper that, um, that the systems that are being proposed now are missing large parts of what the Perry Preschool Project included, so the family supports. Do you think that that not looking at, at those parts of the, that larger model, um, will we ever be able to put together anything remotely similar to the kinds of effects that that project saw? Well, it does trouble me that this research is mentioned so often, uh, the research in, into some very fine models in the United States that were started in the 60s and 70s, um, often fairly you know, small numbers, but mm-hmm. still careful research. Uh, Perry, the Perry Preschool Project, for instance, had, I think, 57, 59 students. Mm-hmm. So... Huge decisions so have been made referenced. on on a very small number mm-hmm. of um, African American children, very disadvantaged, who were uh, provided with a very fine program. And it's often said, you know, we know that preschool programs uh, have positive outcomes and more than pay for themselves. The economics is uh, is an argument that's often used. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but they have positive outcomes. We know that because of these programs for the United States. Um, and uh, the cost-benefit is um, particularly appealing um, in this day and age. Mm-hmm. The idea that something would pay for itself seven times over or 17 times over, as the children are getting older, then that number is getting higher mm-hmm. because their earnings are higher and so on. Uh, um it's very appealing, but it's important to unpack that and realize that the, by far uh, the majority of that money is because of money that was perceived saved because some of those children did not enter the justice system. Mm-hmm. They weren't involved in criminal behavior. And since so many uh, African-American uh, young men, one in four, 
are involved in the justice system. If you could keep a few out, you save a great deal of money. So that's all wrapped up in those figures as well, which we throw around. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm guilty of that too. So, uh, but, uh, but the other thing is that the, uh, the teachers were extremely well qualified. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they all had uh, graduate degrees and so on. That the, um, uh, in, in the case of Perry Preschool, it was a half-day program, not all day, and yet mm-hmm. everyone suggests the more would be better. Um, in the case of the Abyssadarian project, which was uh, another program, mm-hmm. it started at about four or five months old. Of course, in the United States, there's uh, um, no, there's very, very short uh, leave, parental right. leave. Mm-hmm. And most, many, many uh, poor people wouldn't have it at all. Mm-hmm. So they would be needing childcare. Um, so the program started with children very young. And went right up to five. So it was very expensive also, Mm -hmm. but it was very different from what is being suggested. And yet the learnings from it, the advantages, are applied as if we can just uh, say, well, it worked there, uh, Mm -hmm. so it'll work here. There's no doubt that that, uh, children from disadvantaged families benefit a lot from having uh, uh, well-constructed, imaginative programs with a lot of play and learning opportunities. Absolutely no doubt at all. Uh, And uh, so I think it's just important to keep that straight. And those programs, those two, had um, a lot of family support components in them, which you never hear or rarely hear or only hear a tiny bit about, (laughs) uh, that it would be, that would... uh, appear in this school model. Um, Even in Ontario, when the all-day kindergarten was first proposed, one of the model programs that had impressed Charles Pascal, who wrote uh, uh, the report recommending how this should all play out, uh, was in Vanier in in Ontario. And uh, they were already doing many of these things, and they had a family outreach worker in the school. Mm-hmm. Um, who was the liaison with families, who was in their homes, who might uh, be having, um, bringing, um, uh, you know, sort of supplemental materials so that they could be working with children. So they were supporting families at the same time if a family had a difficulty with housing or with getting something from social services or whatever, they would help with that. Mm-hmm. But that isn't in the model. Mm-hmm. It's just not there. Right. Well, there isn't the money, for one th- thing. I think the money is a, is on, a on big a factor. Scale. So... Uh, I remember somebody in the United States saying, who wrote a very interesting article for us some time ago, but she said um, uh, they think they're getting the whole loaf and they're only getting half the loaf. <laughs> or a few slices, perhaps. Yes, maybe. <laughs> and so what we're saying is if, if you're going to do this in schools, recognize that when you're working with young families, you are working, but when you're working with young children, you're working with the whole family. Mm-hmm. And there is a long tradition in Canada of knowing how to offer comprehensive um, holistic supports to families that are not just focused on their children's learning, but are focused on the family functioning and and therefore how they will be able to raise those children. And so if that's what we're saying needs to be there. Mm-hmm. So I think in conclusion, we're coming to the end of our time, I want to ask you to predict the future for me. <laughs> and I know you'll be able to handle that, no problem. So 
On the one hand, let's imagine that uh, that early learning and childcare becomes the responsibility of school systems across Canada. What are the kind of outcomes that you would predict for children um, under that system? And then on the other hand, um, let's imagine that the kind of recommendations that FRP Canada is putting forward in, in this policy paper for a system that is providing more supports for families. In that future, what kind of outcomes for families and children would you predict? I would uh, just be concerned that the family uh, that the family is weakened in some way and that the child um, uh, may not be spending as much time with uh, loving parents as, as as they would like like and that mm-hmm. and that the confidence in parents which is already a little shaky. It's a, it's a very difficult job, um, and we're never quite sure what we're doing, um, that uh, the more we get the message that it's the, the professionals should be caring for children mm-hmm. because parents don't know what they're doing, um, you know, that that's the undoing because really, ultimately, it's the parent who's going to say to the teenager, no, you need to be home at 10 o'clock. Right. They need to feel confident in that. They mm-hmm. need to know how to do it. They need to know what to do when the teenager isn't home at 10 mm-hmm. o'clock. And to have established the kind of relationship yes, where exactly. there is a mutual respect exactly. and trust. Exactly, yeah. where, the, where the child wants to please them because mm-hmm. they have such a tight bond. Um, so I, I would worry about that. In the other scenario, if families are supported at more as their children are young, um, that will have happier, uh, uh, loving uh, uh, children who are functioning well in society. I mean, we, we do want that. There are a lot of economic arguments here, certainly. We do uh, 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 want children to grow up happy and uh, doing well and successful. Um, and so I think in order to do that, we really need to remember that the family is is the starting place for that and and, and that uh, those family relationships are extremely important for uh, that child's whole life and it's important that they be strengthened. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Janice, for this conversation today. It's It's been uh, fascinating and, and really inspiring, too. Oh, thank you. That wraps it up for this episode of Voices of Family. Check the BC Council for Families website next month for another episode on the latest in family services at www.bccf.ca. Thanks, and see you next time.